Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Living Open podcast. Today's episode is with Sarah of Shadow Femme, who is a biracial queer femme and a practitioner who blends together shadow work, astrology, and human design to help people own their full, authentic selves. In this episode, we talk a lot about shadow work, obviously, and about queer journeys. We get into Sharo's, oh my god, (laughs) we get into Sarah's journey with shadow work and we talk a lot about what shadow work is, her journey with queerness and gender and shadow work and I share a bit about my journey with queerness too and what that has to do with shadow work. We talk about seeking Sismale approval and validation, how she blends shadow work and astrology and human design to work with them all, the process of integrating shadow parts, the purposes of our different parts, and imposter syndrome when it comes to mystical and intuitive practices. This episode also has a content warning for non-graphic, but a mention of childhood sexual abuse. I just want to offer that so you can opt in or out and take care of yourself in whatever way you need. This episode feels pretty timely for me. Um, We recorded it a while ago and over the past two weeks, I guess, yeah, over the past week and a half, I've come out to my entire family (laughs) and I was laying in bed with my partner and it really hit me wow I've been holding this secret for probably 18 years for like 18 years I felt like no one can know no one can ever know and now literally everyone knows my family the older people in my family anyways was the final frontier for me and I'll probably talk someday, sometime, far in the future, not now, about that experience. I think you all know, if you listen to the show, that my family is quite religious and quite homophobic, so it was not easy, Um, but I also feel a million pounds lighter, and that felt like, this coming out felt like a real welcoming home of some of those fragmented parts, a real healing for my eight-year-old self, my 10-year-old self, my 13-year-old self, my 16-year-old self, my 21-year-old self, all of myself who knew that they were queer and felt no one can ever know. No one can ever know and I can never live this. Um, And everyone knows and we're living it. So that feels like that feels relevant for this conversation that is yeah, we talk a lot about queerness and queer journeys, but we also talk about welcoming parts of ourselves home and becoming more whole. Um, And that feels really true in this moment. So I want to read you this poem I wrote called Coming Out. It's very short, feels appropriate for today's episode. And here it is. 
burying this illusion under the dogwood trees where we played tag. Magic means dying continually. Mugwort smoke drifts back years and I find only I have changed. Altar crafted of my own blood, each day we drift from each other. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I have an announcement for you that I feel a little bit nervous about, but mostly excited. Um, The podcast is taking a break for the month of August. There are going to be no new episodes in August because I've been podcasting with this show specifically for five years. In August, actually, it's the five-year anniversary, and I need a break. And August feels like a great time to do that, and a break at the five-year mark for a month feels really sweet. So there are so many episodes to catch up on. Please enjoy. I'll probably make some suggestions on Instagram or maybe in the next couple episodes of like, here's some you might want to listen to if you miss them. Um, I also feel that the podcast maybe wants to evolve a bit and it's always evolving, but I think taking some space to hold space for that evolution also feels really good to me. So I'm excited. The podcast will be back in September. It's not over um so make sure you subscribe or stay subscribed so you can get a notification when we are back in september and in the meantime i still have erotic poetry writing class coming up at the end of the month very excited for that we're gonna write some poems together around reclaiming sexuality and erotic expression i think it's gonna be powerful i think it's gonna be fun it's gonna be creative and really light if you've never written a poem before and you want to come don't worry it's not about being good in quotes at anything or being a poet in quotes um if writing for healing and writing around eroticism feels interesting or exciting or helpful to you then come no gatekeeping everyone is welcome and um yeah i'm also going to be doing a pleasure magic class this summer in august and I'll be announcing that pretty soon, um, and that's going to be a series with more breathwork and writing and somatics and ritual um, for healing around pleasure together. I'm very excited about that as well, and that's all I have for you. So let's get into my conversation with Sarah of Shadow Femme. I always like to start the show by hearing about your journey. So I'd love to hear about your journey with shadow work and how you've gotten to this moment in your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it, I, I could start with like my journey in therapy, I guess, because that segues into my journey with, with shadow work. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask like if you wanted my journey as a practitioner or or my own healing journey, but really they're kind of intertwined you know? Yeah. I was going to say I want um, both. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess, well, first of all, I came from a family that really didn't acknowledge emotions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, definitely not quote unquote negative emotions. Yeah. And I, you know, really thought of things like emotional work um, or therapy as things that you needed if you like had a mental illness that was very like pronounced and defined and I didn't think of um emotional work or what I would come to learn was shadow work (laughs) I didn't think of it as something that really 
everyone could benefit from. Um, I sort of got into my own healing journey, I would say. A little bit in college, I was a student athlete, and I ended up seeing a sports psychologist who was recommended to our team. And I was, I think that sort of opened the door just a crack for me to be like, oh, this this is acceptable, you know, for me to go see a psychologist for this particular reason, for sports performance, you know, (laughs) um, for like a goal. And from there, I had my, I had different experiences with various therapists after that, um, some of which were not that helpful and honestly kind of damaging, but some which were kind of helpful. And I think each time I encountered a new um you know, counselor or therapist or whatever, I went a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, you know, started off with surface level things like, I don't know why I get so, you know, uh, like I I choke at big meets, you know, I can't perform like (laughs) under pressure. And that was just the surface. And I sort of ended up going deeper and deeper from there. Like, yeah, with my own, um, my own shadows, I guess. And yeah, it, it, from there, it, it kind of took personal crises for me to seek out help at different times. Um, eventually, I think I sort of hit a plateau in my own journey and in, in working in therapy, like or with therapists, where I found that it was helpful to some extent to be talking about things out loud um, with, with someone like a, a trained counselor, but it felt a little too cold and clinical to me at times. And I, meanwhile, I was really starting to become more and more interested in things like astrology and Mm -hmm. different, you know, woo-woo interests like that. And I was looking for someone that could maybe bridge the gap between um, a more sort of buttoned up clinical style of working with people and um, and the more sort of intuitive, mystical side of things, like someone who knew about astrology or mm-hmm. or didn't think it was bogus or you know, um, mm-hmm. at least. And I ended up finding someone like that. You know, I didn't know that sort of thing existed. Um, and that person was Kuan Yin, who I know you've had on the podcast before. Oh, who's, cool. Yeah, who's like an emotional alchemist, as she describes herself. Um, and I started working with her, you know, she kind of bridged these two worlds really perfectly and came into my life at the perfect time. And, um, you know, she also specifically, uh, loves working with Asian femmes and, you know, people who are unpacking and sort of unlearning the sort of patriarchal (laughs) silencing that they've been smothered by. And that was sort of perfect for my, you know, personal uh, journey. And so working with her was really, really transformative. And it also later inspired me to, you know, incorporate shadow work into what I do. Hmm. Um, And yeah, (laughs) that's some of my background. Okay, when you talk about shadow work, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think uh, the shadow, like Carl Jung is credited with coining the term the shadow, I'm pretty sure. Um, Although 
that concept has existed right (laughs) long time for for forever um but the way it's defined I think is is usually uh the parts of you that you deem unacceptable and unlovable in a way um that you think aren't fit to see the light of day that are maybe not enough or even too much um that you then shove down sort of deep into the basement of your unconscious mm-hmm. um, and that you deem as, you know, separate from yourself. You sort of exile it um, into a corner of your mind um, in order to continue on surviving and, and receiving love and being acceptable in the eyes of the world. And that, everyone I think to some extent has sort of that underground (laughs) basement um, in their psyche and a lot of times you know the the parts that live in that shadow realm are um, come out of childhood experiences where you know as a child uh, not not being seen as lovable is like literally a life or death thing um, because your survival is so dependent on your caregivers and whether they like you or not, and whether they, you know, are willing to provide care for you. And so, you know, as children, we end up detaching ourselves from from these parts that we think, like, aren't going to be accepted and, and exile those parts. And I think shadow work is really all about, first of all, like unearthing those parts and covering them and in naming them in um, exploring them and then eventually integrating them into the larger whole. Yeah. Yeah. When you're describing that process, it just made me think so much about, I mean, I have tons of shadow material, you know, so not just this, but it just made me think so much about my journey with queerness and queerness being one of those things that got like relegated to a tiny basement box inside my rib cage somewhere. And I would love to hear anything you want to share about like, does that resonate with you? What has your journey with sexuality and with gender been like? Yeah. Um, 100% resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it that, in turn makes me think of this thing that I, I read like in a YA book when I was a teenager and it it that quote like stuck with me for some reason for a very long time and came back around in my early 20s when I was figuring out that I was queer um, and it was about it was like this random book not even like that great of a book but for some reason I considered it my favorite and it happened to have this character in it who was in her early 20s just a side character who figures out that she's queer like by the end of the book and um it's kind of a shock to her because she's like shouldn't I have figured this out by now and there's this sort of conversation she's having And I can even like picture the page in my mind um, where she's giving the analogy of a house and, you know, her mind or herself being kind of like a house. And you get really used to just using the front rooms and the back rooms are closed off and kind of shuttered and they don't really see the light of day. But, you know, there's enough space to live in the front rooms. They, 
you know, are functional. She gets by, right? And then, you know, through her experiences in the book, it's like these back rooms were opened up and she realized, oh my God, there's a whole house here. (laughs) Like there are these other rooms, right? That I just did not acknowledge existed. Um, I definitely felt like that. I, um, things sort of clicked into place for me in my early twenties. And I was like, what? Like, I think of myself as a pretty self-aware person, or I've always been someone interested, who's been interested in like, you know, learning about myself and, um, and really going deep, you know, on my own identity. And I was like, how can I not know this about myself? Like it was wild. Um, and that in turn made me question like, okay, then am I wrong? Like, am I just straight? Am I, am I overthinking this too much anyway? But, (laughs) um, yeah, it really took me like jolting myself completely out of my, like the context that I was used to, to, to like, look at my sexuality in a new way. Like it took me going away to college, and then not even then I didn't really f- even figure it out then. And then it, and then I moved to another country mm. and then <laughs> that was finally enough for me to be like, Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It, it, and I, there's a lot of reasons for it, um, for why I didn't know for so long. I think, mm, you know, the sort of patriarchal <laughs> conditioning that influenced me as a kid definitely affected that. Like, I think I got the message that, you know, two women together would just be so hysterical and dramatic and like wouldn't even work. Mm -hmm. And also you needed a man to validate you and tell you you were worthy. So like, how could that happen if you didn't marry a man? Um, And then another big factor for me was, um, and I guess like trigger warning, content warning um, for sexual abuse, but um and this is something I'm still kind of really figuring out and working through, but um, I, you know, I learned in my mid twenties or it sort of clicked for me that my dad had inappropriately sexualized me growing up. And it was something that my mind was like blocking me from realizing. And it it things sort of clicked into place for why I had completely shut down my sexuality um, throughout most of my life and just put all of it in a box and just didn't want to touch it. Um, and so then by default, I thought I was straight because I, I didn't want to think about my sexuality at all. And, um, and then very recently, like late last year, I uncovered some childhood writings and drawings that, um, point to the fact that my dad probably like physically maybe sexually abused me when I was very very young and that just makes a lot of sense for why I completely shut down my sexuality um, and it yeah I think it came out again when my brain was more ready to like process those things um, and as soon as I started unpacking that box <laughs> of like, oh, I'm a sexual being, I, mm-hmm. immediately it was like, oh, and you're not straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it sounds like you had an a experience as well where, right, it, you didn't 
maybe you didn't know about this about yourself for a long time and did it sort of click into place for you um, later on in life? Yeah, I, I'm still trying to make sense of it all. I knew from a young age that I liked girls and I remember feeling like even in elementary school feeling like no one can know this. No one can know this. No one can ever find out this. And so there were always two, it was like, I knew that about myself. And once I had the language around like straightness, I was like, I'm straight though. Like I've like, that is just like going in a little box and that's going away. And I'm still straight. Like all straight people feel that way. Everyone feels that way. Um, And then through like college and after college, especially I started to be like, okay, no, I'm definitely bisexual. I'm bisexual. That's okay. Um, And now I think I really just wanted to be bisexual so that my past would make more sense and I wouldn't have to like blow up my life and I could still, you know, be okay, like getting validation from men and have all of those things. And yeah, during COVID, I realized that I'm actually not attracted to cis men at all. Like I don't identify as bisexual, maybe gay, definitely just queer. Um, Yeah. And that has been what I've been processing a lot this past year of, yeah, Mm. how did I, how was I so dishonest with myself? How I did such a good job hiding away that box in like a far back room that I really even from doing like so much healing work and deep diving work still thought that I was still really attracted to men and could have fulfilling relationships Mm. with them, which is just not true. Um, yeah, so there's like so much there around internalized homophobia and misogyny mm-hmm. and wanting my dad to love me and all of this stuff that's like still yeah. very much in process of being unpacked. But I had this clicking moment this year after I left my ex and just realized, oh, I feel so alive. I I'm so queer. That's so wild that I ever dated men and that I didn't know this about myself. That's so wild. Um, So yeah, we're still in process with that a lot. Totally. I relate to that as well. Yeah. And it's, I just want to validate that that conditioning is so, so, so strong (laughs) to, to seek male approval or, to think that you need to include like cis men in your sexuality, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have kind kind of been on a similar path. I think mine's more gradual where um, I thought I was straight. And then I was like, oh, I am. It like really clicked like, oh, I'm not straight. And then I was like, what does that mean? I think I'm bi, but mostly attracted to men. And then it just basically just moved along the Kinsey scale. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, actually, I'm half and half. Actually, I'm mostly into women. Actually, you know, yeah. and basically it's gotten to the point. I, I, you know, I would joke that I was just a bisexual misandrist, like, you know, I technically was attracted to all genders, I just didn't want to date men. But yeah, it's gotten to the, it got to the point where I was like, yeah, I guess I would maybe sleep with a guy, like, actually, no, I, it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to sleep with men anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It even got to that. And, and I don't want to date them. And I don't even want to be friends with them. 
I just want to be, you know, like, it's like straight cis guys. I mean, um, and I just don't want anything to do with them. Um, you know, and, and over time I was just like, I really only see myself happy with, you know, a woman or a non-binary person or trans person, like a, you know, not a, not a straight cis man, basically. Um, and yeah. And like, I, but even still, I'm in a committed relationship with a woman right now. And we're like, you know, I'm living my queer life. And yet I still have times that, you know, that crop up where I, I find myself still aware of my ingrained, like, beacon for male approval. Mm. Um, And I've, you know, I've talked to her about that as well. Like, it's so strong. It really bothers me. (laughs) just so it's so um deeply conditioned and yeah I like still have those moments so just want to validate that as well that it's like understandable um it's really understandable that you would go on that journey yeah it's so deeply conditioned what you're sharing is making me think about my sister got married a couple of weeks ago and at the wedding there were some of like people that I knew from high school who I haven't seen in like, you know, 10 years or whatever, more than that, maybe. And um, there was this guy there who asked me to dance. And I found myself who like, I'm in a relationship with in a queer relationship and all that. And it was just like totally friendly. And we were just like dancing. And I found myself wanting him to like me so much. And I was like, what is that? I don't like him. Like, I don't actually want him to like me, but some (laughs) part of me is like, Ooh, like that will mean something about me. Like that Mm -hmm. will mean that I'm worthy, lovable, all of those things. If I can get this like random man that I don't care about at all to have some kind of feeling about me. Like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I feel that. Um, I, I had some of those. Yeah. I had, I feel like, whenever I go into the world now, I'm aware of that mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of, I don't know what you call it, beacon or, or sort of sense that we're, um, this awareness that we're conditioned to have. Um, and yeah, I, I think I had some of those feelings crop up too. I, when I, I, I decided to like buzz off all my hair on New Year's mm-hmm. day. <laughs> which Congrats. is it was mostly because I was like really tired of my super long hair mm. <laughs> but also because I was like I don't know I just kind of want a symbolic moment to mm. buzz off of t- <laughs> some feelings from 2020 and um I mean not like you, you can just excise feelings like that's not what I mean but you know yeah. just to kind of um symbolize the the shedding that happened over that past year and like a ritual um, yeah yeah and like I'd always wanted to buzz at least part of my head and I figured well we're in we're in lockdown and like no one's gonna see me anyway what does it matter um but yeah I definitely had a lot of feelings that maybe were tied to um you know sort of straight or like straight male standards of what femininity should look like or what it mm-hmm. what it means to be like an attractive woman um a femme woman woman and um yeah I definitely had some like weird feelings uh 
right afterwards and those kind of you know settled down after a bit um yeah 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 that makes me think about something else I've been thinking about is like what a privilege and not a privilege it is to look like I don't know in quotes an acceptable woman or a woman who's like is what is maybe traditionally desirable to men because on one hand we get that like idea of men wanting to protect us or like I don't know just like being maybe nice to me on the street or like you know just like that part of it and then there's also the part of like you know being catcalled and being harassed and all of those things but also it does provide some kind of protection I think to like look how they think we're supposed to look yeah so you mean as opposed to being like a more androgynous or masculine presenting woman or yeah I think my thoughts about this are not fully fleshed out but they're really just like how I feel about myself walking around as someone who like is femme and has long hair and those kinds of things yeah. it's like there is this protection I think that's offered of like I look like what men think I'm supposed to look like yeah totally I I feel that too and and I think at first I had more of a frustration with being straight passing <laughs> and being assumed to be straight like at all times um, because I just felt this gap and this distance between how people perceived me and then how I felt on the inside. But I, yeah, I think once I, you know, buzzed off my hair, I was like, oh, I guess I just sort of forfeited some of that <laughs> faux mm-hmm. power almost. It's not even power, it, it's, but it is a certain privilege that, like you said, that um, sort of protection that's maybe afforded Um more femme presenting women uh yeah it 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 made me hyper aware Mm. of like all the ways in which I was blending in and how that benefited me um you know and then how just how much you know conventional (laughs) looks can benefit a person Mm -hmm. um yeah and, and like on top of that, I'm, I'm pretty white passing and, and, you know, can be, yeah, just, just seen as like someone, yeah, someone who fits in mm-hmm. conventional standards and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really real. Mm-hmm. Still so much to... <laughs> My, I'm like thinking of this in my head as my like shadow year, even though it's also every year, but I'm like, there's still so much more of this year ahead. So, so much more for me to unpack and process around all these things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I kind of want to um, shift gears a little bit if it's okay with you mm-hmm. and ask about how shadow work and astrology and human design blend together for you, like how you work with those different elements. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like to blend them all together. (laughs) And, um, I have been into astrology for several years and it sort of, I like, I was giving informal readings to people basically just sort of off the cuff, like at parties or just in conversation or whatever. And I 
I had had people tell me like I should do that for you know a living or or like charge for it and I was like no I don't know um but last year at the start of the pandemic I got laid off from my job I was working for uh, as a developer uh software developer for a travel company um and it was travel industry was hard hit by the pandemic and so mass layoffs and that ended up sort of kickstarting this dormant idea of like I want to completely shift gears Mm -hmm. (laughs) into something I'm actually passionate about um which is something more mystical and something in, in more of a healing capacity and um I was like I want to work with astrology, but I don't just want to give <clears throat> surface level or not surface level. Cause you know, chart readings are usually just very profound, but like, I, I want to go beyond um, like your standard chart reading. And I want to really use astrology as, as a tool for healing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I am particularly interested in those areas of people's charts that they don't identify with as much or that they maybe don't even like, or that they don't fully own, but they see those influences come back to them in other incarnations. Like for instance, I have a very strong Mars. Um, my partner and I have talked about this. It was like our second date. We just talked about like astrology. <laughs> we were talking about our, our yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we were talking about our strong Mars placements and how each of us hadn't fully owned it. Um, owned our Mars, you know, sort of fiery, aggressive energy over our lives. And we had seen it come back through the form of other people, you know, mm-hmm. expressing that aggression towards us, right? And as I started to embody my Mars um, a little more, those those other influences sort of faded, started to fade away, um, those more toxic manifestations of Mars. Um, anyway, so I, I was just like interested in that aspect of astrology, like that sort of angle in astrology. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then at the same time, my girlfriend introduced me to human design. And uh, I guess for those listening who maybe don't know what human design is, I feel like it's not, you know, it's not nearly as popular yet as astrology. Yeah. Um, human design is like this mega system that combines a bunch of different systems of knowledge, including astrology with other, um, other ancient systems. And, uh, and basically it describes the way your energy works and similar to astrology, you use your birth time to generate a chart and you can go really deep on like how your energy naturally flows and where you've been kind of conditioned by society to maybe misuse or force your energy. And so, I at first was like, this looks like crazy, (laughs) (laughs) just bullshit, you know, like, this is where I draw the line. This is too much woo in my life. (laughs) You know, it just seemed very goopy, like very Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) I then went a little deeper and was like, oh, this really works. And I have to incorporate it into my work. And I started combining astrology and human design and inspired by, like I said, the um, teachings of Kuan Yin was really taking a shadow work angle on all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wanted to go deeper and sort of 
like in an ethical way um, with my clients and wanted to really build up my skills in my tools in my toolbox, I guess, for when it came to shadow work and healing work. And so I went through a bunch of like training and different courses um, over this, like the last, you know, the second half of last year. Um, long story, but basically I ended up, you know, taking some tools and, and leaving the rest because I've I felt that there, I feel like there's a lot of certifications and trainings out there mm-hmm. um, that aren't very trauma informed and yeah. um, to say the least, <laughs> and that are a little spiritually bypassy. I could say a lot about that, but mm-hmm. anyway, I just ended up really learning from that experience to be discerning about like the tools that I use, the way I use them, and supplemented all of that training with like more self-study um you know also brought in things like hypnosis um you know which I was was part of that training I went through but I went on and studied a bit more on my own um and yeah I just have blended all of those things together into um my own combo (laughs) to work with clients and the way that usually works is I like to start out with um, people's charts both astrology and human design and like I said I'm especially interested in the areas that they aren't fully owning yet or that they Mm -hmm. are feel a little uncomfortable with or that maybe feel in conflict with each other and we start to dig into that and and start to name the, you know, shadow parts that kind of go along with those internal conflicts. Um, And then we work to integrate those parts Mm -hmm. um, so that they're not in conflict anymore. And yeah. And and so I, I generally just like to talk about astrology and human design in a way that goes deeper than just, you know, stereotypes or, memes although I, I do love a good astrology meme love it. <laughs> um yeah but that hopefully goes a bit deeper as well deeper than like enabling people to to be like oh it's just because you're a gemini you know <laughs> um yeah. ex- excusing certain behaviors and instead um yeah getting really curious about what's mm. what's underneath them and using astrology and human design as as tools rather than as like prescriptive instructions, you know, for how you should live your life or like tools to get curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. I find that so much more helpful. <laughs> what is that <laughs> process of integrating those parts look like? Yeah. So, uh, I first I usually go about things conversationally um, with a client like like I said first naming the parts and describing them and usually tracing them back to where they originated or when they originated um, in that person's life and you know I think it's helpful to just first of all like like uncover that narrative you know and uncover the root of that part and talk about it. Um, And then sort of in a more um, 
a structured way, like an another technique I use with people is uh, talking, like really visualizing, let's say there's two parts in a conflict, like really naming and visualizing each of them. Mm -hmm. And then going, going in on like what the ultimate deepest purpose is of that, uh, of each individual part, mm -hmm. like how do they how do they think they're serving you like what are they what are they really trying to accomplish for you what's their highest intention and usually once you you know get more and more um i guess w once you once you keep asking a particular part like okay and what does that serve and what does that do do for you and you kind of follow the chain of intentions there Usually you'll you'll get up to a a pretty like general purpose like oh I just want like this part wants you to be loved <laughs> you know and oftentimes you'll find that along the way as you're following this chain of associations like each part actually will have some commonalities with the other one and or you'll find that they have certain resources that can benefit the other part and so yeah usually this will look like like I said fo following kind of this chain of intentions you know for each of these parts and then also making associations between them and mm -hmm. sharing resources between them and that you know ends up sort of knitting them together and helping them see how they're they actually aren't in conflict because ultimately these parts mm -hmm are here for you and like you know your survival and because they were they ultimately want you to like survive <laughs> and thrive and they just have their particular coping mechanisms um of doing that that can be quite extreme but yeah um at a certain point like once we've drawn enough associations between them and found you know all these commonalities between them, um, they'll end up like naturally joining together and merging together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's one technique I use sort of a more of a visual visualization and like talking things through technique. And then mm -hmm. um, I also um, sometimes use hypnosis with clients, which can be helpful for um, just kind of, yeah, like relaxing the conscious mind and um, integrating things on more of a, an unconscious level. Yeah. Yeah, that's so helpful to hear. Thank you. I'm so curious about yeah. hypnosis too. I have never experienced uh, it. So yeah, maybe sometime. It sounds really fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, um, yeah, and it's not, it's not like, I don't know. It doesn't like turn you into a zombie. It's not, it's not like what people think of when they think of a, you know, stage hypnosis or something. Yeah. Um, I think of it more as more um, as like just a relaxing experience mm -hmm. um, that can help you, especially if you're someone like me who has a very active conscious mind. That's, that's like overthinking things and sort of getting in your own way can help relax that part of your mind to get more to the unconscious. Yeah. yeah. And while we're talking about the, 
yeah, the actual doing of the work. I want to ask you about something we talked about before um, we got on today of like imposter syndrome when it comes to mystical and intuitive practices. That's been like an on and off ebbing and flowing thread throughout um, however long I've been doing this work, like five years maybe. Um, And yeah, it's something that ebbs and flows and sometimes I feel it way more and it feels really huge and sometimes I'm like no I feel really grounded and rooted in this um but yeah I would love to hear about you working through imposter syndrome and yeah how that shows up for you in doing this kind of work yeah um yeah it's just an ongoing thing for me for sure throughout my life really Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that um yeah I I think I am definitely someone that um, cares a lot <laughs> like about everything I do. Like mm-hmm. I hold myself to really high standards usually um, and can be a perfectionist a lot of times. And um, yeah, I, I tend to, I'm like thinking of parts of my human design chart, by the way, as I'm, t- <laughs> as I'm saying this, cause it like correlates to certain parts of my chart. Um but yeah, I'm definitely someone who like studies a lot and really goes deep on things and works really hard and then holds myself to really high standard and <laughs> and then doubts can kind of come in, you know, through that. I was also um, raised in a narcissistic family system, um, you know, and with a dynamic of that, like with a... a narcissistic father and um I think with that childhood influence comes a lot of self-doubt because you know it being raised in that environment you're constantly made to like doubt your own reality and doubt your yeah what what you know and whether you're good enough because um you know it it was also a very like achievement oriented household and so I felt that I constantly had to do more and and do better and like keep up a really high standard at all times to be, you know, to get love or attention or anything. Um, And so, yeah, I know that I have that internalized influence in myself too. And I'm always like holding, yeah, like I keep saying, holding myself to ever moving standards. Mm -hmm. Um, And so yeah, I, it, and, and since I'm like relatively new to, I guess, doing this for money, <laughs> you know, like not to say I, I didn't, you know, I'm, I wasn't experienced in this modalities like prior to now. Um, I, yeah, like, like I mentioned before, even when I was doing informal astrology readings for people and they were telling me I should charge for it I was like no I'm not good enough like Mm. I couldn't do that um but yeah I I definitely vacillate back and forth now between being like yeah like I got this like I have a lot to offer (laughs) I I'm really you know I have a lot of insight I can help a lot of people and then being like I don't know enough like Mm -hmm. I need to take another course, read another book before I can do that. 
Um, I also definitely experienced imposter syndrome when it comes to setting my rates, you know, like knowing how much to charge. I've been all over the map. Like I feel so many feelings. <laughs> I try to assign like, you know, a value to what I do. Um, and, but I, you know, I think what I went through sort of at the end of last year, like what I mentioned with, um, various courses I was taking and, and things like that to, um, yeah, to real, to really like, I, I, I really wanted to feel like I could, ethically and really competently like go deep with people in my work Mm -hmm. and yet those very courses I was taking some of them I was like this is not it (laughs) you know like these people feel justified in charging me lots and lots of money for what I don't think is is like a good enough program you know like I I don't think um like, I think some of this is a little bullshit, you know, like, mm-hmm. and yet they're not feeling imposter syndrome, <laughs> you know? And, and I, at the same time, I was also um, seeing different practitioners myself, like as a client, because I was going through a lot last year mm-hmm. um, on a personal level. And I was like, oh my God, some of these people are really, damaging honestly or not good at what they do and Mm. that really put things in perspective for me um it really made me realize that there aren't many healers or practitioners out there who really are like that thoughtful and discerning and trauma-informed in their work and I shouldn't feel as much imposter syndrome about what I do because, you know, for better or worse, like here are people out here in the world, you know, do, doing this line of work that um, probably shouldn't be doing it. I don't know. Like in a way it, it, it was shitty at the time because I was like, oh man, I wish I didn't see this person or spend my money on this person, but it, it helped me lessen my imposter syndrome in a way, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, it does. I think one of the things my imposter syndrome voice says, is like everyone knows more than you and everyone's better than you. <laughs> and it's like, it's just not true. Like, I mean, sure. Like people can know more and people can be great at what they do. And that's all amazing. And there are so many people who are, and that doesn't mean that I don't also know things and can also be good at the things that I do. Like all of that can be true. Yeah. yeah I feel that a lot. And I, I think what happens is, you know, you, maybe you think you don't know anything, but something that seems insignificant to you or just sort of, sort of second nature to you might be really profound for someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think about that as well. Like I think as soon as I learn a thing, I, I usually, just internalize it and then go like, oh yeah, that's old news already. <laughs> like that's yeah. not impressive anymore. I already know that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I share it, it might be really helpful for someone else. And I don't know if that happens to you, but I, I tend to have a very short like lifespan <laughs> when it comes to being like when when it comes to ingesting new information and, and feeling like it's valuable. Um, mm-hmm. I'll I'll forget like that I once 
needed that information and that it, it, it once was like so insightful to me. Um, I need to remember to keep on sharing that sort of thing to other people Mm -hmm. um, without feeling that imposter syndrome of, Oh, is this, is this original enough? Is this valuable enough or, or helpful enough? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. I do that too. I'm like, Oh, that thing that's so insignificant and unhelpful, but like at one time I didn't know it and it was helpful and maybe changed my life. And so, yeah, we're all in different places and going through different things and, you never know. I mean, sometimes I'm really surprised by the things that people reflect back to me about the podcast, like random stuff that I've said or that people on the show have said that like really helped them in some way. And it's amazing because you really don't know. Yeah. So I always appreciate those reflections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is because the name of the show is Living Open. What does Living Open mean to you? Um, hmm. oh, I, I guess, uh, it, well, it makes me think of, I'm like, <laughs> it's recording so they won't be able to see, but I'm like doing this motion, opening my chest up. Um, it makes me think of sort of being unapologetic uh, about who you are and, um, being authentic and unafraid of that authenticity, um, being willing to show all the different parts of yourself, even the, you know, more shadowy parts (laughs) that you might not deem as shiny and impressive. Um, and just being open to new experiences and like open to and accepting of like what life is bringing you, um, And yeah, I think it also makes me think that it's like a work in progress because it's Mm. a gerund, (laughs) it's ing, it's uh, about the process of living um, open. It's not just like some destination that you've arrived at. It's an ongoing practice. Yeah, that's so true for me. I love that you pulled that out. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, all those things? Oh, yeah. Um, So my website is shadowfem.com. Fem, like queer femme. (laughs) So spelled F-E-M-M-E. And then on Instagram, I'm shadow.fem. And yeah, um, I'm on Instagram occasionally. And I have lately been dedicating most of my energy to a weekly email and sometimes blog posts so if you want more of my long form insights or writings then you can sign up for my mailing list and um yeah on my website I have how to work with me 101 if people are interested in that yeah amazing I'll put all the links in the description um and yeah thank you so much for sharing and for being here I really appreciate it I love talking to you oh thank you so much likewise 
Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.